Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with John Fonville. We're in the final message in our series called The Five Solas. It's celebration of Reformation Day and the anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Today is message number five called Sola Deo Gloria, our only goal. Sola Deo Gloria means glory to God alone. The main idea we're exploring today is how the first four solas give glory to God, and without them, there's no glory to God alone. We're so glad you could join us for this series. Let's jump in now. Here's Pastor John with part two of Sola Deo Gloria, our only goal. When you turn to Hebrews chapter 11 in the so-called heroes of the faith chapter, which is not an accurate term for that chapter, I want you to listen to these heroes, these so-called heroes of what they were like. You'll be struck by this reality as you read about them. It says that we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, which includes, these great cloud of witnesses includes those who struggled with drunkenness, Noah. Those who struggled with anger and committed murder, Moses. Those who struggled with sexual impurity, Samson. Those who were polygamists, Abraham. Those who were deceivers, Jacob. Those who were doubters, Sarah. The scripture is shockingly honest about believers' sin in order to make it crystal clear that salvation is by grace alone to the glory of God alone. I want you to think about this. We have 13 letters in the New Testament from a man who was formerly a blaspheming, violent, murderous, persecutor, terrorist in the church. Paul is a perfect example of God's glorious display of his saving grace in Christ alone to an undeserving sinner who has nothing but demerits. Listen to what Paul says about this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning verse 13. He says, Formerly, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor. I was a violent aggressor. Yet... I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in the unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Listen, among whom I am the foremost of all. Yet... Being the foremost of all for this reason, I found mercy so that in me, the worst sinner of all, listen, might Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. And then it leads Paul to do this. He breaks out in a doxology. Now to the King Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor glory forever and ever. Amen. Christians are a creation of the grace of God. The church is a creation of the grace of God. The Christian life of a believer is marked out by the means of the grace of God, preaching of the gospel and the reception of the holy sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. From beginning, middle, and end, we are creatures who have received the grace of God. And that glorifies God. 
And then fourth, we've looked at sola fide. There's no glory to God alone if salvation is not through faith alone. Sola fide, as we learned last week, is at the heart of the Reformation. By sola fide, the Reformers are emphasizing that it is through the instrument of faith alone, which is accepting, receiving, resting in Christ alone, that a sinner is justified before God. Faith, as opposed to works, as opposed to cooperating with God, This faith is the gift of the Holy Spirit, which comes through the preaching of the gospel. And that faith is confirmed and nourished and strengthened and assured through the sacraments as the Holy Spirit uses the visible objective revelation of the sacraments to confirm that faith. And it is this faith given by the Holy Spirit to us that unites us to Christ and gives us all of Christ's saving benefits. So what is sola fide doing? Sola fide is attributing salvation to the work of God alone and strips away anything that would pertain to man and his works. You see, in contrast to the Roman church, as we learned last week, the medieval church, which still teaches to this day, the Roman church still teaches to this day, they denied sola fide. The medieval church during the Reformation and the Roman church today maintains that justification is this joint effort. It is a cooperation of man with God. And so the Roman church added these unbiblical traditions to Scripture and taught and still teaches that salvation is this cooperative effort. And so by their Jesus plus works scheme, the Roman church strips God of his glory by partly attributing to man that which rightly belongs solely to God alone. And so the problem for those who reject one or more of these five solas is that they cannot give glory to God alone. If a sinful man is justified by grace through faith in Christ plus their contribution of their own inherent righteousness, their sanctification, their good works. God's glory is then shared in salvation. But you you see, God, God doesn't share his salvation. That's why Rome and Arminian theology and Pelagian evangelicals today who go beyond Arminius from the Reformation can never truly say soli deo gloria. They can never say glory to God alone. Because in their view, grace and faith are necessary for salvation, but they're not essential. There is this necessity of adding your cooperation and good works, your sanctification that is essential for your salvation. And so the glory of God in salvation is at best shared, and a shared glory is no glory whatsoever. So in contrast, the Reformers rightly argued from the Scriptures that salvation is not an act of cooperation between God and man. Salvation is a sovereign, gracious act of God himself, which is received through the instrument of faith alone. Why? Because faith strips man of all his ground for boasting. Where do we learn this? Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, For, listen, by grace you have been saved 
through faith, no cooperation there, no good works there, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What is the gift of God? The whole package, the grace, the salvation, the faith, the whole thing. It is the gift of God. Why? Not as a result of works, so that purpose, no one may boast. Nobody gets the credit. Nobody gets the glory. God alone gets the glory. Sola fide attributes glory to God alone. This is the exact point the Apostle Paul makes, not only in Ephesians, but in Romans chapter 4, verses 20 through 21, when he is discussing justification by grace through faith alone. Listen to how Paul connects the glory of God to sola fide. He's talking about Abraham, and he says, with respect to the promise of God, he, Abraham, did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, look, giving glory to God. His faith gave glory to God because he says he was fully assured that what God had promised, he would have a son, he was also able to perform. And believing the promise of God, he gave glory to God. Faith alone gives glory to God. And that's how we glorify God. Faith, what does faith do? It makes much of Christ and it makes nothing of us. At no point in salvation do works ever serve as the instrumental means of our salvation. This, this whole salvation, this whole entire gift of salvation gives all glory to God. As the Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 14, paragraph 2 says, says, what are the principal acts of saving faith? It is this. The principal acts of saving faith are accepting, listen, receiving, resting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Did you hear that? Not only for justification, but sanctification in eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. And so sola fide emphasizes that saving faith accepts and receives and rests in Christ alone for salvation. Faith never looks to your, its own works and says, boast and says, up, oh, accept me. Faith looks to Jesus alone for salvation. And so it is only by believing in Jesus, receiving and resting upon his righteousness that we can be saved from sin and death and have a righteous standing before God. So as we have looked then at all of these solas, now you can see how and why these first four solas lead us to and they culminate in the glory of God. Together, these, these solas proclaim, listen, that salvation is based on the final authority of Scripture alone, that salvation is by grace alone, that salvation is through faith alone, and that salvation is in Christ alone, all to the glory of God alone. And so as we bring this study of these uh, five Latin phrases of the Reformation to a close this morning, I want to finish... With, uh, with this one question I want you to think about with me uh, as we close about this, this last question. What was at the heart of the Reformation? What, what was at the heart of these five solas? 
I want you to listen to Michael Horton as he gives us the answer. He says, quote, the fact that God comes near to us in forgiveness and in grace through Christ was really at the heart of the Reformation. Listen, the gospel understanding of Jesus stood in stark contrast to the medieval church's understanding of Jesus by which they viewed Jesus as this distant, harsh, terror-instilling judge. But the gospel is summarized in the Reformations teach us that God has come near safely in the person of Jesus Christ to deal graciously with sinners and to deal graciously with those who receive him by faith alone. The fact that a holy and righteous God comes near to us safely in the forgiveness of sins and in grace through Christ is at the heart of the display of God's glorious grace. This is clearly set forth for us in Luke chapter 2. So turn with me there as we finish our study. Luke chapter 2. Just take a moment. I just want you to see this because it is just so, so deeply encouraging. What we have in Luke chapter 2 is Luke records for us the angel's announcement of the birth of Jesus. What is that? The birth of Jesus, listen carefully, is a holy and righteous God coming near to us in safety. And their announcement of the birth of Jesus is accompanied by the glory of the Lord, something that can be quite devastating to a sinner. And so look at Luke chapter 2, verse 9. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. They were right to be terribly frightened. A sinner in the presence of the glory of God is devastated. Apart from a proper mediator. But we have to keep reading the story. Look at verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13. In chapter 2, verse 13, it says, And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Now, this is very interesting because this term host describes the angels in a military way. This word host is a military term that was common in ancient Greek used to denote a group of soldiers. And what Luke is telling you is that the army of heaven came announcing Jesus' birth. This king. And the truly amazing thing about their announcement is that God, instead of assembling his army to crush his enemies, God the king sends his army of angels to announce good news of great joy on the battlefield. And rightly overcome by the glory of God, the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. How can a sinful man survive the presence of the glory of God and not be afraid? Because God tells him not to be afraid. Because God is going to announce good news. Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. The sign of the glory of God coming to save you will be found wrapped up in claws in an animal feeding trough. This great king is pleased to announce and grant salvation to his enemies on the battlefield. And in response to such glorious good news, look at chapter 2, verse 14. What do the angels, what does the army of heaven do? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men of his good pleasure. What higher cause for praise and greater joy can there be than to know that you are now the eternal object of God's pleasure. This great king comes to us on the battlefield and we are his enemies. And we stand before him in a big, bad place. (laughs) And he's coming to announce to us, not defeat, but salvation. This great king is pleased to bestow his peace and his undeserved favor upon his enemies with whom he was formerly in deadly opposition. And the truly amazing truth is that instead of assembling his army to fight, God the king, as I said, sends his army of angels to announce terms of peace. Peace among men. And so I want you to note this well as we finish, that the king, through his messenger, has come announcing good news of great joy. He's come announcing peace, not war, and he's come announcing salvation, not judgment. Christ's salvation brings peace. The God-man has come near to us in order to announce to us that the war is over. He has come near to us to reconcile us to himself. The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 2, comforting the people of God who are in exile in Babylon. He says to them, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Christ has come to end the war by forgiving our iniquity, to pardon our iniquity. We are no longer at war with God. We are now at peace. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so because this king comes announcing good news of peace, Christ, who was born in Bethlehem, is not a cause for fear. He's not a distant, harsh, terror-instilling judge like the medieval church drew him out to be. But in the gospel, Jesus is, listen, he is the God who has come near to us in safety, and he is a cause for peace. He is a cause for comfort. He is a cause for joy, which is what a terrified heart longs for. Martin Luther's uh, often quoted testimony captures this truth eloquently. And as we finish this morning with our study from the Reformation, I thought it would be appropriate for you to hear what happens to a sinner who's terrified by the God of judgment and discovers through the gospel that God of judgment has come near as as the God of peace and salvation. Listen to what Luther writes. 
He says, I greatly long to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the justice of God. Because I took it to mean that the justice whereby God is just and whereby God deals justly in punishing the unjust. My situation, although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner troubled in conscience. And I had no confidence that my merit would assuage him. Therefore, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. Yet I clung to the dear Paul and had a great yearning to know what he meant. Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by his faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith. Thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise and the whole of scripture took on a new meaning And whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet and greater love. And this passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. Do you know what a troubled, sorrowful heart whose conscience is crushing them for their sin craves more than anything else? It is a heart, Luther says, that craves this. Nothing more than peace and comfort. It wants to know that it has a gracious God. Luther, he says this. He says, you must not imagine that Christ is angry with you. For he did not come to earth and become a man for that reason. that he might shove you into hell. Much less was he crucified and died for that purpose. Instead, he came that you might have great joy in him. So as we look at this announcement in Luke chapter 2 and finish, this phrase, men of his good pleasure, highlights the sovereign grace of God in salvation. The whole emphasis of the angel's announcement is on God and what he's doing for us. It is God who chooses. It is men of his good pleasure from beginning, middle, and end. This entire work of salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And so these five Latin phrases of the Reformation represent to us the core truths in relation to or about the gospel. And so without all of these five solas, the gospel is lost. And if the gospel is lost, all is lost. By these five pillars, the reformer sought to call the church back to the truth of the gospel. And that has been the aim in our study this past five weeks, leading up to the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. So let us hold fast to the pillars of the Reformation. Listen one more time. Let us hold fast to sola scriptura, scripture alone, our final authority. Solus Christus, Christ alone, our only mediator. Sola gratia, grace alone, our only cause. Sola fide, faith alone, our only instrument. And soli deo gloria, glory to God alone, our only goal, our only ambition, our only desire. And in the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21, 
we say, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your glorious gospel. We thank you that it is, your salvation is completely your work alone. And you alone are deserving of the glory for it. And we thank you that there's, there's no problem, there's no competition between your glory and our joy. Because it is your glory to make us joyful through grace and the gift of Christ. And we thank you that you glorify yourself and you magnify and set yourself in glorious display through the salvation you've given to us through your son. So help us to hold fast to the pillars of the gospel so that in all things we can say, glory be to God alone, to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thanks, John. That's Sola Deo Gloria, part two. More on Him We Proclaim next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.